Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, it is February 5th. Very excited to have one of our most repeat guests on. I think you're, I, I think was the most repeat guest. I think you're second. That's, I Vincent. think this is number three for me if I'm counting. They might be tied yeah. now. Yeah, you might be tied. <laughs> so our guest is Vincent Cunningham, who is a staff writer at The New Yorker, um, one of the magazine's theater critics, and someone I've known for many years, somebody whose friendship I value very highly. And, you know, I think he's a great guest on our show. So thank you. Is there anything else I should say? <laughs> Absolutely not. I value your friendship too. That's right. <laughs> Tammy and her, Tammy, are you doing like a full, you know, I'm not going to talk about your apartment. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Vincent, you know, I, the first thing I wanted to ask you, Vincent, was just like, um, I know that you pay attention to the NBA. I do. Right? I sure do. And this week there was this like massive trade sort of bombshell that I actually, you know, like everything in the NBA is supposed to be a bombshell at this point because the entire reporting structure and the media has <laughs> been entirely uh, sort of built around scoops, right? And the scoops are generally like Royce O'Neal has signed a two-year extension with the <laughs> Brooklyn Nets for $9 million a year. And people are like, whoa. whoa. I mean, yeah. it's like, I mean, like who could? Um, but there was a real bomb this week, which was that Kyrie Irving has asked for a trade. And um, this is something that I've spent the last two days thinking about, mostly from a <laughs> basketball context. But I did think it brought up an interesting question, right, which is um, the NBA itself, right, um, mm -hmm. has branded itself, as we all know. And, you know, I know that Bomani Jones addressed this on his show, uh, the debut of his show on HBO. They've addressed they've sort of dress themselves up as a social justice league, right? Right. And they've started to move back away from it, but not publicly. It's just like they kind of aren't talking about it as much. But I thought it was interesting in that the league, the way that the league has handled Kyrie Irving so far, I don't know, like this is something you've thought about. I think it's something you might have even written about. Like, um, I don't know. What, what did you think about this Kyrie Irving name? Well, it's so weird because Kyrie's a very easy target in terms of like, not worrying about like being sort of pro player, pro worker, whatever, because he's so annoying. So that you kind of like you forget <laughs> what your like actual commitments are. You're like, oh, like this guy sucks, like whatever, you know. But it's like it's also true that it seems like he's being like he can't get his contract sufficiently handled to, to, to at least his satisfaction because his bosses are just like mad at him for last season where he like refused to get vaccinated and really sank the team and. I mean, he he did a lot of damage. And then earlier this year, of course, he had a whole scandal about him sharing a uh, of like a grossly anti-Semitic uh, movie on his uh, Twitter. Like, hey, watch this. Some cool information. Um, oh, God. And the information was like, did you know that the Jews are like solely responsible for the slave trade? This like horrible thing. Um, oh, my God. So it, it just seems like there is some, like, there's like, reasonable worry that he like is incapable of spending a single year in the NBA without like ruining his team or doing something crazy. But it's also like um, the Nets owners seem to be the kinds of people that want to prove a point about who's in charge all the time. You know, like this is what they did with Kevin Durant. They're like, we're not going to trade you. And they like very publicly kind of like have this thing of like, nope, we're not going to let ourselves be hijacked by players, which is a stance that I don't usually admire. So I've found myself in this weird limbo of like, I don't like these people. They're, they're these like tech uh, spreadsheet keeping 
uh, like authoritarians. I don't like these <laughs> owners. At the same time, I don't like Kyrie Irving. So it's like right. I haven't had the satisfaction, the catharsis, because I like knew he was going to ruin the season in some way. And it's like he has done that. He didn't play last <laughs> night or whatever. And so it's like on that level, I'm like very satisfied. But then the whole the rest of the context, like, I don't know, it leaves me cold. Yeah. Um, Joe Tsai, the um, sort of Chinese billionaire, is the owner of the team. Right. And Tammy, I don't know. Okay. Like, I don't know if you remember this from earlier in the year, but after Kyrie shared that link. And his defense was always like, I didn't even put a caption on the link. I just shared the link. You know, I was <laughs> saying anything that about it. It's like, that. you don't get the benefit of the doubt on this, man. Like, you have all sorts of like, wild <laughs> That's ideas. Insane. But, um, you know, he made Kyrie go through this sort of song and dance with the ADL, right? Um, oh, boy. You now, he was first supposed to uh, donate this money to the ADL. And then in a press conference where he was, you know, just finished practice or something, he was walking around. He basically did not apologize to the sort of standards of the ADL and the ADL came out and said like, oh, we don't accept your apology. And then he had to go and do right. all sorts of other things, right? Um, like go down this checklist of stuff that he had to do. So from a worker perspective, it is a little bit scary, right? Because um, not scary, but it's like, okay, the decision has been made sort of extraordinary circumstances have been set up for this person to be reinstated. I don't think anything that Kyrie had to do was like difficult. It was just kind of like, why are you asking me to do this? Either kick me out of the league or don't right. Right. Um, Type of thing. And then because he finished all of this stuff, then he got to come back and play. And the real kicker here is that when he played, he was awesome. Like, Awesome, awesome, awesome playing some of the best basketball of his career, right? That's the only reason why any of this is a story at all. If he was bad this year, then, like, nobody would care, right? But he's playing extremely well. And then um, to try and get his next contract, the Nets owners, basically, or the management's put in all these stipulations that we don't really know the details of, basically just being like, we can void this contract at any time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Kyrie is very involved with the players, Union. He is one of the vice presidents, I think, of the players' union. I think that's right. And um, I think that like there is this argument to be made. I don't support Kyrie Irving, like, or you know, and I don't believe his explanations for sharing that (laughs) anti-Semitic link or anything like that, right? But I do think that like from a, it would be very strange for him to accept this as part of the players' union, right? Like you can't if you're leadership of the union, you can't really accept a totally extraordinary. Uh, contract that is, I don't know, like sort of contingent on your good behavior and yeah. stuff like that. And some of it is like totally out of his control. Aren't. Yeah, some of it was right. like right. team success, which is like doesn't make sense oh, for an yeah, individual yeah, contract. Yeah. It's like, like weird. Win the shit. NBA yeah. Finals, right? Wasn't that one of them? Yeah, like, it's like so strange. To, like... <laughs> yeah, it's Wait, so really? Weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so these are totally unprecedented terms. Oh yeah, 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 and that's why he sort of demanded a trade. I think because of this, but like. um but yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was very interesting. Is there any team, Vincent, that you think he should go to? I, I mean, I think it's like written in the stars that he has to go to the Lakers, right? Yeah. I was he has yeah, to go to the Lakers. Yeah. He has to play with LeBron. He has to aggravate LeBron to death and everything has to fall apart. Like that's <laughs> if if this league is the story it, it, it promises to be, then that's what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> other people have been talking about the Dallas Mavericks where Luka Doncic plays, but I just feel like uh, that's just too much of a potential disaster. I want to like keep him as far away from Luca as we can. 
<laughs> protect Luca. <laughs> protect Luca. And also he protect Kyrie. Really. Like, he's like, he plays around people and they like uh, tolerate him. But I don't know. Like, I don't think like the Eastern European attitude is to like deal with that. It's, it's going to be like breaking news <laughs> Luka Doncic broke a beer bottle over Kyrie Irving's head. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think they might respect each other's like kind of game thing you know yeah it's like nba players are like any other people who are extremely good at things and are kind of understand the difficulty of what they do right and that they have a great deal of respect for the types of people who might not be everybody's favorite but can do the types of things that they can't do right and Kyrie irving is the number one of that like in terms of skills like he does stuff that every nba player is like i am like the greatest basketball player that has ever wa- or one of like the 1000 greatest basketball players who've ever walked the earth but i don't understand how he did that you know yeah wow and then you accept some problematic people in that way right very very germane to our discussion today right um, <laughs> we will be talking about the film tar which i finally did watch. is that how segment. you pronounce it tar i think so yeah. okay all right wait um, but can i ask one on basketball yeah, yeah, question yeah. really quick so if he goes to the lakers are lebron's style and his style compatible like what kind of game would that be well, they won the title together, so yes, I think it would be all right. But okay. um, but it's like <laughs> Most naive basketball question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a good question. If modern, if current LeBron and Anthony Davis and the team around it would want to have Kyrie dribbling the ball that much, that's an interesting question. But um, I think they're also smart at basketball, like him and LeBron, that they would figure it out. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I don't know. It's uh, in terms of the NBA and the way that it sees itself. It's just sort of another thing in which, like, the NBA really wanted to come out strong against Kyrie Irving. I think I have no inside information on this, but based on like a little bit of inside information, nothing like sourced <laughs> or anything like that. But, uh, and, you know, just knowing the league from having covered it so long, I think that part of the reason why the league had a hard time coming down as hard as they wanted to on Kyrie for sharing that link was that. Uh, I think that there was some sense that perhaps other players would show solidarity with Kyrie and then they would have like a disaster on their hands right now. The way that's expressed itself now is that other players are showing solidarity with Kyrie by begging on social media for their teams to trade for him. <laughs> you know? So like in that way, everything has been forgiven and forgotten. Um, but I think that there was some sense that like people, the players would just be like, why are you picking on Kyrie, you know, like all he did is share a link and that um, <laughs> some things would get pretty ugly in that sort of way because Kyrie is beloved with it among other players, like still, despite the fact that he is I very see. strange and as Vincent pointed out, extremely annoying, like maybe the most annoying <laughs> NBA player that we've, we've ever had, at least somebody who's this good. So um, uh, it cannot be overstated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That's a that's his main characteristic. Is just annoying. <laughs> he like doesn't listen. Um, he doesn't answer questions, and then he gets mad at you for, because you asked a question, and then he doesn't answer, and then he says, "What?" He's like, "Why are you asking that question?" You know, the new athlete way wow. of doing that is basically if they don't like a question, they say like, "Why did you ask that question?" And you just say, "I don't know, man. It's a press conference." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm supposed I to be here asking question. That's all you know, it and is. And they try. Yeah. I know they they all do this Jordan Peterson type thing now. You know where they're just like they like try and like ultra slice like your question down into the 
into like something that it's not and then they ask yeah. it back to you and it kind of works <laughs> because i think that a lot of reporters like they don't want to lose their access they're in kind of a prone position I in see. some ways because like access is so difficult and a lot of their jobs depend on it you know but um but the players have like sort of mastered this like uh you know socratic bullshit or whatever what do you think um, that is all right wow. yeah 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 what do you think that is? why do, do you, you think that happened really yeah. <laughs> why do you dribble the ball out of bounds with three seconds left on the clock why do you think i dribbled the ball out of <laughs> one of them would be like well i think that you're mentally weak and that you suck at basketball and that you <laughs> shrunk in the moment and i just wanted you to say that you know? <laughs> okay so we did not have you on to talk about Kyrie irving we had you on because like i want to do this for two reasons the first is because i had not seen this film and everyone was talking about it it had reached that point where i was like i'm not gonna watch this movie because too many people are talking about it. i don't care <laughs> and i don't want to have get sucked into any of these conversations but other but also because tammy has like a background in a lot of this stuff right like tammy what is your I what mean, is your music background <laughs> we're talking about tar by the way yeah um what, what, what's, yeah, what's well, your background the, in all of this my background i mean that's very generous my i used to be a sort of um, casual ethnomusicologist i guess and right. <laughs> grew up in the classical music world but like i but not like in a super elite way, but know kind of enough about this background that it was a very interesting film to me from that perspective. But of course, that's not like the main thing I think people have been talking about with this film. Right. They've been talking about cancel culture or whatever. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's start out this conversation here. I'm just going to ask a series of random questions to both of you, and then we're going to trigger some conversations, right? So Vincent, (laughs) I don't know. What do you think of it? Did you like this movie? You know, I just watched most of it, like, everything but the last half hour again um, in preparation for this conversation. And I have to say, I liked it so much better the second time. Oh, Um, wow. I think it's, I think it's very, I think it's very mixed. I think there are parts that are supposed to be sort of, um, uh, that are sort of satirical and therefore like we're supposed to be kind of laughing at Tara when she's doing a thing. But there are also times where it's like, no, this movie like is a little bit like its tone is a little bit off. Um, and I found that like from scene to scene, the tone, the tone is really, um, uh, strange and strained in ways that sometimes the movie means and sometimes it doesn't, but it is very, it is kind of entertaining. It's very entertaining in a way that just like, um, uh, Kate Blanchett's character is so tar that is, um, She's just so she's just so bizarre. Like the the Juilliard scene. There's a scene where she goes to oh Juilliard to teach a class, and she's confronted with like uh, uh, youthful wokeness in its most sort of undistilled, like undiluted form. There's this kid who's obviously crazily anxious, and he's like moving his uh, knee, and he's telling her why, as a you know, BIPOC pangender person. He doesn't like <laughs> enjoy Bach because of his various indiscretions and. Um, right. And it's just like her, like hokey. At one point, she sits next to him. And she's like, "Max, what, what do you mean? What do you mean by that?" You know, it's just like her, <laughs> ho- her hokey disbelief. She's like an NBA player being asked a direct question. Exactly. Yeah. What, what do you think, Max? Um, yeah, Russell Westbrook being like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what, what do you mean by why did I miss 15 shots? What do you mean? What do you think about Bach like killing various women or whatever? You know." Um, right. But it's just like there's a there's a hokiness. To the performance, she calls herself a U- U-Haul lesbian in that scene. That like, there's yeah. just parts that made me laugh more. And the second time, I think it's more of a comedy than I took it to be the first time. Totally, yeah, right. Yeah. 
Tammy, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. I loved this movie. I think it's fascinating and totally entertaining. And I think it mostly succeeds at what it's trying to do. I, mean, I think that the scene that Vincent's picking out in the beginning, it's almost like the movie has three parts or I guess like two and a half parts. Like in the beginning, it has this sort of, it feels kind of like documentary-ish. It's like goes kind of at the pace of life. And then suddenly it kind of slips into this like supercharged, fast, surrealist yeah. kind of part of the film where right. you're not quite sure what's real and what's fake. And um, I think like as a as um, sort of social commentary, it's, yeah, I think like those scenes are actually kind of weak in a, in a way, like the beginning scenes, but later it gets so much more rich. Um, I do, I did think about, did you guys follow like the James Levine scandal in the classical music world? Like there really are yeah. people like this, but actually so much worse, really. Bit. Sure. So like James, James Levine. Levine. Yeah. I've been a conductor in the opera and <clears throat> the Met Opera. And for decades, he abused young boys <clears throat> and teenagers in his care and actually specifically targeted boys of color and boys from disadvantaged backgrounds in order to prey upon them. And that went was kind of known in the classical music world, but essentially went sanctioned because he was such a high-profile conductor. So it, Tar actually, like, there is a real-life Tar. And, you know, and of course, like, the flipping of it being a woman is something we can get into. But um, I, I felt like it got enough right kind of, like, in its own cultural context. And, yeah, I think also the ending we could maybe talk about in a way that's germane to this show about how she ends up in Asia. Like there's just lots of funny, (laughs) weird things in this movie that I I think are quite rich. All right. Well, I just realized that we have to do a number of sort of housekeeping type of things here. The first is that there's a bunch of spoilers. (laughs) So if you haven't, if you want to watch the movie and you haven't seen it already, then you know, you don't have to listen to this episode. But the other thing is that just to explain what the movie (laughs) is about in a very broad way is about sort of this world famous composer of the bill. Berlin Philharmonic, she is about to have her big moment, uh, sort of completing all of Mahler's symphonies, and she's going on this world press tour, and you sort of see her life, um, and she is canceled, right? Um, I think uh, is the like people are like that movie's not about cancel culture. It's like, listen, we can debate what that means, but literally the movie is about her being canceled. <laughs> yes, right? so, like, that's something. <laughs> it truly um, is. It's like, yeah. and she is uh, yeah. canceled for a variety of reasons, but mostly because uh, she was sort of. You know, the accusation was that she was grooming uh, people as part of a foundation that she did for women composers, right? Mm-hmm. And um, one of the women composers ends up that was in under her care that she was particularly callous to and manipulative to ends up killing herself, and this sort of sets off this chain of mm-hmm. events, um, which ends as Tammy says with her in Asia. Um, <laughs> I want to talk. You know, I think let's get this out of the way quickly, which is that I agree with Vincent in that. First of all, I did really like this movie, but I do think that. When you start a movie out in 2023 and you have a scene in which like a very sort of comically woke kid says, I'm a BIPOC pan pangendered person. I don't like Bach because of his misogynist views. Right. And that the person is kind of like earnest and young and at Juilliard, like a very elite type of school. And um, and then ends the scene saying, like, you're a fucking bitch to her. Right. Like um, that. Obviously, that's going to trigger a whole bunch of stuff. I think it's intentional, right? But I do think that it was done in a kind of clumsy way. And yet, I sometimes wonder, right? Because every time a scene like that happens in a movie, and now, like, I don't know, it feels like 70% of movies are about to have a scene like that in it. Um, like, for example, <laughs> I don't know, like, the what was that? The Chair, like, that show, right? Like, we were just like, okay, like, is it really like this? Um, 
I had this yeah. thought about whether or not this actually exists or not, right? And I think it's something that I'm kind of ignorant about. Like, you know, like, do these types of conversations happen? Like, are are people sort of doing this type of identity conversation to this extent in these settings? And um, I don't know, it read kind of false to me, you know? Like, I've, I had a hard time believing that that somebody would sort of say this type of thing. And yet, you know what? I have been in settings where people have. (laughs) 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 And so, um, I don't know what, like, I, I, I think that there is something that is going on now where, um, we almost have like a, uh, road or rigid response, like kind of like you almost, you're always going to have the same response to a scene like that, depending on what your politics are, depending on how you feel about any of this stuff, you know? And like it, sets up this massive expectation within the film in your own head that the film is now going to be about X, you know? And I don't know. I think that the film was much more interesting than that, right? Like they could have like sort of had her been canceled and she is canceled for very good reasons, right? It was, she wasn't canceled because of this. Like I think the commentary that the film was trying to make was that this was leveraged against her in this totally like stupid and crude way. And as sort of, you know, like a way to drive the nail home further on the actual stuff that she was canceled for. And that I do think that in a lot of cancellation episodes that this is what happens, right? That there is an underlying problem, which, you know, in a lot of ways is that nobody likes this person who has ever met this person, you know, or or that, that this person has done something and that that some of this stuff in which they're like clumsy in the way that they speak or something like that are sort of leverage against them like what, what do you think about it? like like what what response do you get when you see a scene like that in movie or tv these days yeah i think what it does is it it like like you said it's hoping for a certain kind of response which is why i was impatient with the people who were kind of saying that like uh, my colleague richard brody wrote a piece that was basically responding to that in the movie um reading it as an anti-cancel culture movie and um reacting to that part that aspect of what the movie's putting out. And a lot of people are like, he doesn't get it. I'm like, well, um, those scenes are in there on purpose and it's meant to engender a certain response. So like, I'm never going to say that that response is invalid because it is obviously trying to um, achieve something like that. Or at least it's trying to like do like a, a, a both sides thing. That's like, yes, this horrible, this annoying thing is true. And also, more serious abuses abound, as you say. Like, these two things can be happening at the same time and often within the same person, right? Um, right. But when I saw it, what it did was it made that character, Max, the the, the young person who's, um, you know, when we first see him is, is like, conducting this, like, piece of shit, like, atonal uh, work. And she's like, all right, enough of that. And she's like, why don't you play some, right. you know, what about Bach? What about the mass in B minor or whatever she said? Um, and then it turns... But, he is presented as such an annoying presence, right? He like, right. it's, it's not the like, worst. right. It's not like they give you the best version of him yeah. or whatever. It's like, right. here's the most annoying fucking like Adderall uh, crazed. Like he can't keep his legs uh, straight. He's like, you know, he's the worst. He has no actual taste. You can tell. Um, and she's like, on the other hand, like super operatic. At one point she's standing up on stage and she's like, what about Mozart? You like him? And she does this like <laughs> yeah, yeah, incredible yeah, thing yeah. with her hand that's like the most stagey thing ever. And she's like, well, as a U-Haul lesbian, I find that. So it's like, right. she's at one point, like he moves, he leaves the, this is where I'm like, okay, 
who am I supposed to believe here? Is Todd Field yeah. corny or is she corny? Where like he leaves the classroom and she's like, you got to stand before God and obliterate yourself. Or right. something. She says something like that. And it's like, <laughs> what, what am I supposed to be picking up right now? Like, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's just one of those things. I mean, it's a very weird thing where it's like, it makes me cringe when that scene happens, mm-hmm. you know, and, and direct yeah. answer to the question. This makes me like, uh, especially if that scene comes very shortly on the heels of like, um, the same character at the literal New Yorker festival, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, it's really thinking about it like that is really interesting. Cause it's like from, from sort of legacy Institute, one legacy institution to another right. kind of thing. Um, it set a weird scene for me. Yeah. And it does come early. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's very, early. but I felt like, Katie, those... how do you, how do you respond when you see like sort of the annoyingly woke character that is almost like a stock character? They should have like yeah. a character actor who plays every single woke, <laughs> annoying, like young person, you know, it could be like, you know, you know how like all the mob movies and TV shows have the same people in it or like, you know, the guy who's in <laughs> the bad guy in Deadwood is also the bad guy in, um, tombstone right you know, the guy's <laughs> yeah. name, right you know <laughs> they should have they should have one actor just be, <laughs> it's like, be it could be max from 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 tar i mean he was very good the at robert de niro really of wokeness like, yeah. <laughs> well like, no because robert de niro is like a star you know i'm talking about like a character well, yeah, actor who just shows true, up yeah. in every single genre film yeah, yeah. um and it's just that person but like what how do you respond when you feel when you see that type of character because it does set up certain expectations I think. yeah I don't know. I guess I felt like those first two scenes in New Yorker Festival and then the Juilliard scene, they're so exaggerated and archetypal that, you know, I, I don't know. It somehow worked for me because basically I read those two scenes as kind of being Tar's version of the world. You know, it just gives you like complete access to like her sick imaginary. <laughs> and um, so that's like how she thinks about that entire like entire generation of people and right. how she distinguishes herself from this, you know, very like lowbrow, wokest insanity that we're living through or whatever, you know, it's so, it's so ridiculous. Um, and then later, obviously immediately after that, we're slipping more into like, well, who is she really? So I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny. I also felt like that Juilliard scene was so clearly setting us up for the video of it, the truncated, right, right, you know, right, cancellation right. video. Oh, later, yeah. so. Well, that is like chopped um, up and edited to totally. be like, yeah, horrible. I have to yeah, say, though, yeah, I mean, I feel funny, like actually, talking yeah, to um, academic friends and friends in these sorts of spaces, like, I do think a slightly less comic version of these conversations exists and, and happens, like, fairly regularly. So I don't yeah, know, that's... Vincent, if you've had that experience in your teaching, but I've definitely seen and heard about this from academic friends. Yeah, I don't have, I don't have any, I don't think I've had anybody be, like, whatever, down with whoever, like, whatever sort of iconic whatever but they're just there are more conversations i had a really great conversation with my students uh two classes ago that was just about like you know who gets to perform criticism and um Mm. diversity like really interesting conversations that are fruitful i have not had the um i don't want to read thucydides because he's a he's a you know white greek patriarchal male or whatever, you know um that that doesn't that's good yeah um i imagine if my yeah. syllabus was all that or was all one thing that i i imagine that that would be a problem for sure like i, I imagine yeah. somebody would speak up but yeah i don't know maybe i'm like mm-hmm. the maybe i'm just like a woke teacher so maybe it's uh <laughs> yeah yeah I, I felt uh i don't know i i didn't really 
I just found myself kind of annoyed, but then I realized that the point of that scene, I think, is to, I think that you're supposed to hate both of them, you know, and right. clearly supposed to find, I think, Lydia Tarr's sort of exhortations on the stand walking around going like, well, what about Ludwig, you know, and you're just like, oh, God, <laughs> shut up, yeah. you know, and I, there, there's a question that I had for both of you, because I know that both of you have some experience in this world, or at least have thought about it a bit is, you know, I thought that the choice to make Lydia Tara conductor was very interesting, right? Like, because um, it's not like Lydia Tara is like a virtuoso, right? Like, she's not Joshua Bell, like going around the world, wowing audiences, where even if you find the person somewhat annoying, and that the person has a certain type of, uh, you know, self-importance, and that is built from like the extremely cloistered world of classical music, that you at least are like, well, you know, this person can really play the fucking violin, right? Um, and that uh, there, you can't take that away from them, right? Like it's like Kyrie Irving, you know. <laughs> what <laughs> amazing, <laughs> what amazing handles, right? That there is, but a conductor doesn't really have that, right? Like a conductor is generally a much more subjective type of thing. It is based on like personal branding much more, and they're generally despised by the people who work for them. And you know, every musician <laughs> seems to really dislike whatever conductor that they that they have right like i don't i think that um i don't know did you think that there was anything specific about that because i think that like sort of the job of the conductor is to be grandiose in this sort of annoying type of way right it is to sort of build this brand around themselves because they're not the ones that are actually playing the music right the interpretations of the music are things that are um important right i don't think that their job is not important but like you know even at the beginning like when the uh when Gopnik is like is asking her like well you know the clearly it's about more than keeping time right and then she's like no actually kind of it's just keeping time <laughs> keeping time yeah. um I don't know uh, Tammy is that something in your sort of classical music background am I mischaracterizing and slandering all conductors here? <laughs> Maybe slightly. I don't know that all conductors have that relationship to their orchestras. But yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. And I think Vincent got into this on a different podcast. Um, Anyway, I think that the fact that she's a composer, in addition to a conductor is is very interesting. So obviously, like with the Leonard Bernstein shadow over this whole thing, like he was this maybe one of the last superstar conductors that everybody in America knew, you know, and that like had that kind of resonance. I mean, I think in Germany, it's a very different cultural context where composer conductors like can be stars in a way that they usually aren't in the United States. But um, yeah, she's putting herself into a mold that is always male, that is like extremely powerful, that is definitely like very persona based, um, even in a way beyond like how it is for a musician, I would say. I mean, she, um, I think another thing that's kind of interesting about her character is So this whole thing about her having been in Peru and doing like ethnomusicology, but also like being in the classical world, like there's almost no one like who does that, like that, that was kind of strange. And I think there's this whole thing around like otherness in this film that we can talk about later, but, um, but she's sort of like set up as, yeah, like that conversation where she's like, I mark time, I am God. And then she has, (laughs) you know, and then she gives these speeches about God and music, like um, it is, it is fascinating and I think appropriate to this character that she is the composer conductor, this fearsome male presence. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I think it matters too, because what it means on a different level, like I think this movie has a really interesting 
relationship to labor mm-hmm. and, and what it means on a different level that she's like a boss, you know, and totally. there's a lot of different things uh, that happen, especially in Germany, where there's supposed to be, and this is the truth in many um, orchestras, especially in Europe, there's like, there's supposed to be a kind of workplace democracy where like, in order to do this or to remove this person from their job or to um, establish who plays a solo or whatever, there has to be some sort of um, vote that happens among the members of the orchestra, that, that yeah. it's a sort of collective in terms of decision-making. Um, and the conductor is this person who wants to instead, especially as we see Tar do it, she uh, exerts all this petty power through a kind of authoritarianism. She says, well, actually um, this you know, this the assistant conductor is my prerogative, or she like works behind the scenes to to curry favor in such a way that things will happen um, totally. in the way that she wants them to. They're supposed to have blind auditions, and she sees a young woman that she is attracted to, uh, sees her boots, and then can see her under the screen that's supposed yeah. to make the the <laughs> musicians anonymous, so and she great. like rigs it in favor of um, this young woman to become the new cellist in the orchestra. So she's like, the conductor is a person who can subvert um, the prerogatives of labor in this um, in this situation, you know? Um, totally. So she's like, And it starts affecting autocrat. her, like, musical taste, too, right? Because she then chooses this, like, Elgar concerto, which is like, kind of cheesy, and like, basically had been, like, this new cellist like junior high or a high school like concert and we see her doing it like on a video yeah 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 i mean i was like i think that so zadie smith wrote a very i thought a very compelling essay about this in harper's i believe and one of the things that zadie and and the new york review books i apologize the um (laughs) the the one of the arguments that she made and something that she fixated on that i as a gen xer and i i believe the only gen xer in this in this podcast right now born in December of 1979 is that like there, this is a lot about generational divides and what you were Mm -hmm. saying, Vincent sort of like made me think about that because Lydia Tarr is clearly the woke person of her generation, right? The woke beneficiary of her generation. She's like an ethnomusicologist who like studied indigenous music and she's a woman. And in the very beginning of the film, you see her pulling up the ladder, right? Like they ask about, uh, you know, do women have problems in this classical music world? And she basically goes, well, not anymore. You know, right. and that's such like a... Yeah, it's such a classic move of somebody who is reaching their 40s and 50s and has benefited totally. from some form of, you know... Uh, remediation or whatever or even just like sort of use their identity or use used a certain type of self-invention mm-hmm. to promote themselves in the graces of like whatever like good rich liberals or something like that mm-hmm. and then when they make it and they see young people coming up doing the same stuff they did but in a slightly different way then they get very annoyed right and then they say like no right yeah. like <laughs> everything is fine because right. i have a job and therefore like the world can't be unjust because if I have a job <laughs> and the world is unjust, then it means that I don't deserve my position. And I'm going to have to cede my position to like this annoying person who's like a pangendered BIPOC person. <laughs> like, right, right. We are now, you know, this person doesn't even have taste, right? Like that's the type of thought that that is going through her head. Like I've just found that that commentary, like that's how I felt throughout the entire film that I felt like it was about kind of getting old and being out of touch, right? Like that um, she doesn't understand the terrible music that the kids at Juilliard are saying, right? She does sort of respond with these cliches about Bach and, and Beethoven, right? Like she does, she doesn't even understand the young women that she's manipulating or that she's sleeping with, right? She doesn't expect like her assistant in the film 
who's a, who like betrays her. She like doesn't expect the system to betray her because she can't imagine a world in which somebody is going to marshal social media and like sort of, you know, actually cancel her. Right. Like she's she's like almost out of touch the entire film. And like, I, yeah. I don't know, I found that that lens of it to be very interesting because I do think it is a film more than anything about getting old. Right. Like what in some of the strange random scenes like one of her old neighbors, right, like is a woman who is extremely old and at the end of life. And like, you know, the way that she responds to her is very visceral and um, and obviously like in the center of her mind. Yeah. And, and it's so much about that, that what you said, it's so true that it's about like getting older. And it's like what I like about the sort of I like the middle of the film best. Right. The beginning has all these touches yeah. that I feel like, oh, OK, you know, um, I don't know. I And at the end, the end, I don't know, we, we learn that she's like actually from Staten Island and her name's uh, Linda, not Lydia. And she's got this like working class brother who's like, don't forget who you are, Linda. And it's like, yeah, I just yeah, hate yeah. that shit so much. But like, <laughs> the, what's great about the middle of the film is suddenly she's like, um, we go from her being this like fearsome presence who goes to her daughter, uh, her daughter Petra goes to her school and like, um, basically threatens her her young that was bully. amazing yeah and says i'm petra's father yeah da, 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 da. um she's talking in in like this very severe sounding german to this child and she's like nobody's gonna believe you if you tell them what i've said here um <laughs> the slide from that to her ruining her face because she's like trying to run after the young cellist um falls in this courtyard and bruises her face and all of a sudden she's like this old pathetic woman like that the middle gives us this great slide from power to sort of this weird, pathetic desperateness that is really compelling. That's my favorite stuff in the movie. And it's all about, as you say, yeah. Jay, like she's just, um, she takes the cellist to lunch once and there she's, the cellist is talking about political stuff. She doesn't know anything about and like, yeah. uh, taking a posture with her. That's like, I think strangely informal and she's just lost and she's trying to seduce this young woman and like, actually doesn't have the skill set to do so mm-hmm. and it's like it's just so sad <laughs> um and right right that's she's what pathetic I like. in yeah. those scenes right yeah. like she takes she like takes her on a private jet to new york city and then the and then like the cellist blows her off right and the cellist is also like uh oh no she's uh the cellist doesn't care who the composer of this is where i felt like the contempt for composers was coming in tammy like the, in that one scene at lunch where yeah she's uh she's like oh of course that was conducted by so-and-so in the um and the cellist with her mouth full of food yeah she's like, she's like oh, i don't know who composed yeah, right. you know yeah <laughs> i wasn't paying attention to that yeah, yeah. i watch on youtube yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and uh i text you my performance right like that is all very clear signifiers of mm-hmm. like uh this kind of like older out of touch woman who is too 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 sort of surrounded by you know people who are always blowing smoke up her ass and that she's sort of fallen out of touch and i agree with vince in that i found that i like that that was a part of the film where i felt a most engaged with the film because like whatever annoying things that i think questions about cancel culture or whatever were absent right and that you're just sort of seeing a performance and i felt like it was sort of the one where kate blanchett was able to at least settle into some sort of character that was not always on stage right that exactly um, that it wasn't always like oh i'm at the new yorker festival so i'm doing this performance now i'm talking to juilliard students so i'm doing this performance like i just felt like it was much more lived in and i don't know i i thought that you know i'm sure that it's like kate blanchard is really like the only 
like Kate Bland is Kate Blanchett like the only movie star right now? You know, is she like the only person? Where, like, how could you make this film without Kate Blanchett? Right? Like, I just it's really like, like it's really hard to even imagine. I mean, I, I do feel like one of the things that we've talked about in my former uh, uh, appearances is um, what's it called, Mayor of Easttown, which is like I feel like Winslet is up there, but it's like a different kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, she was the only other person that I thought could possibly do this role, right? Like, there's, like, something where, like, movies are being written for Kate Blanchett to be kind of creepy, you know, and also, like, <laughs> austere and I thought and Tilda impressive. Swinton could do this role. I kept thinking about her, actually, during this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's Because yeah. she has kind of the right physicality and stuff for, for that. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. I feel like this movie doesn't really work without... Kate Blanchett. Like, imagine if it's like <laughs> Julian Moore or something like that. You know, no. just like, oh man, that movie. She's too soft. No, I think. Just, like, what did you guys think about? Um, one thing that Zadie Smith raised in her review, which I think younger reviewers did not touch on at all, is the relationship with the neighbor, and just like the the kind of like obvious references to the body, because part of um, Tar's inability to understand what's going on with the woman she's trying to seduce and like all these young people is that she also is realizing that she's not seen as beautiful anymore or like sexy or, you know, she's like kind of dealing with like being this middle-aged person that people aren't necessarily paying as much attention to, even though she's like at in some ways the peak of her fame, like in the world, the narrowness of the classical music world. And she has this neighbor who is, I mean, it's, it's a little bit sad and kind of maybe a little grotesque in terms of like the class politics of this, but right. the, the neighbor is taking care of her aging mother who is falling apart and eventually is going to die. And I think like, obviously this is like the movie is a very obvious movie. Like there aren't a ton of subtle notes, but like, you know, this like <laughs> providing this kind of mirror of like her own, her own aging process. I'm curious what you guys thought about that. There are these moments of like that, that scene, that whole thing with the the mother and the daughter across the hall. Plus, you know, there are these interstitial shots. I was thinking about that more this time that I've watched it, like of her jogging or her like uh, going box, going to like do boxing. And there's a moment early on where she's, um, it's one of the first times we really see her kind of almost alone. She's staying in a hotel room, still in New York after this sort of New Yorker festival, Juilliard swing that she's made. And her current assistant who we see has been sort of back and forth in touch with Krista, who kills herself, um, drops something off with her at the hotel. She's asked her, does she want something to eat? And she's like, she's like, no. And it's right after she said, um, she's been like, at the beginning, we see her getting fitted for a suit, right? And then she's like, do you like the drape of the pants? She's like, mm-hmm. yes, if I can keep the fat off. And then she says like, uh, yeah. you, you always, you know, you never gain weight or whatever. She's like very focused on her looks Definitely. in a way like that. She's like trying to maintain some, some ageless thing, which is interesting mm-hmm. for a conductor because usually we think of, and this is where I think the, the, the gender politics comes into it. Cause like you think of the male conductor as like someone who only gains authority as they age. Yeah. Whereas she's like, she doesn't want to be a, a young thing or whatever, but she definitely doesn't want to be that sort of gray eminence either. And so That's she's so like, true. you know, her wife who is like someone who is like, age appropriate to her we only see them we see them sort of like start to make out once but we don't see her like desiring her wife or anything like that she's like her thing with these young women is definitely like a sort of symptom of this like creeping dread or something like that totally 
Right, right. I, I find that the other thing that, that Zadie Smith talks about here is like uh, this idea of her as a monster, right? Um, and whether she's a monster or not a monster. And I think that at its very basic level, yes, she's like a monstrous person, right? I don't think that, I don't know. Are there are there people who are arguing that like, you know, anything other than that? Like she's clearly supposed to be some sort of <laughs> anti-hero here, right? But, um, but that, uh, and that she's sort of getting her comeuppance in the way that, sister Carrie gets her come come up or something like that, right? <laughs> like that she's, she's sort of, uh, and that we're supposed to feel satisfied, but at the end, because she has received it. Right. But I don't know. I think that this, the part that I really almost identified with in this film, right. In this strange way, but that I certainly understand and think about quite a bit, which is just that, like what happens to people who, and this is related to the earlier point, but I think that there is a way in which like people who have, experience some type of unfairness, oppression, prejudice, whatever in their life, right? And that it is based on certain, on their identity. That when they get older and more successful, right, that they really do have a hard time, <laughs> I think sometimes, like really understanding what is coming up after them, right? And that that there is a way, I think, in which, you know, I think that this happens with almost every group, but, it, you know, I think that the most sort of obvious group and the one that is this one that satirized the most are like white older white women yeah. right? like white women in their 50s and 60s yeah. who certainly went through a workplace that was extremely hostile right like that went through overcame barriers right to use cliches or whatever <laughs> and that what they don't understand really that they sort of hold a vision of feminism i think right that is now outdated and that there is a reactionary response when they see that they are now the enemy, right? Definitely. And that, um, and that th in their mind, and this is where I find, you know, I do have some sympathy, which is just like, do you know what I fucking went through? You know, right, <laughs> like that, right. I think that's their response. You know, I think that <laughs> you see it some in, in, you know, like gay white men as well, I think, right? Like where you just like, there is a reactionary it, I'm not saying all gay white men do this or all white women do this. I'm right. saying that there are some who turn reactionary against the new presence because understandably they sit, think, man, I had it really bad, you know? And, and all of a sudden my thing is I'm like the yeah. Now, like, right. I'm the, now I'm the privileged person? Like, who the fuck are you? You know? And then you look <laughs> and like, like, you go to Juilliard, motherfucker. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm privileged. <laughs> like, but why are you sympathetic to that? I mean, I, like, I understand what you're I saying. I feel that yeah, way. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm 43. I was and like... these, I'm just like, motherfucker, you go to, you're a PhD student in Oxford talking shit about me. Fuck you. You know, like, I have those thoughts too. That's you know? not generational, though, is it? <laughs> That's just Jay. Um... No, no, I do, I do think it's generational. I'm 43 years old, you know, and people are like, oh, you know, like, well, uh, upholding such and such. I'm just like, I'm just like, dude, my, you know, like, come on, like, shut the fuck up. Like, you know, <laughs> respect my struggle. Oh my God. And I think that's what this, <laughs> I don't know. I really think that's what this film was about, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's sort sure. of like, it's like Leonard Tarr being like, uh, all the things that I had to do, totally. you know, to make it here. And now you're telling me that I'm like the monster, you know, like, no, fuck For you. Sure. You're the monster. And I, <laughs> I found that kind of cool. No, definitely. <laughs> She's doing this. It's like the second, you know, beneficiary of second wave feminism type person. Yeah. Then critiquing this, this new wave and saying, yeah, yeah. F you. But I don't know, Jay, I don't feel, 
<laughs> I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, I'm not sure that that's a very sympathetic. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just saying that in my dark moments, I sometimes feel this. Yeah, way. I think everybody kind that. of feels that way. Yeah, where yeah. you're just like, "Who are you?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> You grew up where? And you're talking shit about me? You know, like, come on. I'm right? from Staten like, Island. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Linda exactly. Tarr would say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That right. is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there is a subtle class thing of like she is um, a lot of her, a lot of the things we're talking about in terms of the performance, like a lot of her sort of put on airs are a, a, a deep cover for her roots where totally. she's like, in some ways she can't even express how far she's come because she doesn't want you to know exactly how far she's mm-hmm. come. Right. Right, right, right. Um, exactly. she's like, not just her end, gender. She's yeah. like, Right. When she sees her brother in that scene in that house in Staten Island and she you see like the try like she's so clearly a try hard, right? When you see her childhood bedroom, like you see you see all the sort of awards on the, the wall. You see the perfect line of uh video cassettes that she recorded, right. every single Leonard Bernstein television show. She has a medal and then when she goes and talks to the <laughs> To her brother, she's wearing her childhood medal. Yeah, you know, like she's wearing it on her. Like, um, I felt like that was all across the nose. But I think that all was sort of suggesting that one thing, which is just like, um, you know, I actually had to work, Definitely. right? And so it is a generational divide thing. And yeah, I'm sorry, Tammy. It's not. I know that it is like a terrible thing for me. No, I really appreciate that we're talking about per, this. There's ten percent of me that understands. Where I this totally get from. that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I was blogging for $50, like for 3,000 words back in 2008. <laughs> Nobody paid any attention to me. <laughs> now you want to come after me? <laughs> You're 25 years old. You already have a staff job. I will fucking destroy you. Right. And then, you know, and then I go take a walk and it's fine. Well, this is, I think this is something we, we all talked about a lot more at the beginning of when Me Too cracked open because there was this worry among younger women. I felt this that older women, especially in their 60s and 70s, like true kind of second wave gen people would say like, oh, come on, we put up with pinched asses and like all this shit in the workplace from our male superiors. And like, right. didn't they, they get did over say yourself, that, right? I mean, I don't think enough people said it where it became a problem for the movement. Like, in other words, I was worried about some sort of more like pronounced backlash against it. But I think the better angels prevailed in that moment. But there, you know, of course, there are these individuals who will still come out with stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadie Smith, I think, agrees with me, by the way. I felt like that was sort of the subtext to her essay in some ways, where she was just like, yeah, I kind of get this. I thought that Sadie piece was incredible. I thought it's like one of, I mean, I don't know. I, I always love what she does, but that one was, it's so good because I really thought it was, on some level, she's inviting you to look at it like autobiographically, you know? Like, she's like, if you're like, this age and also a like cultural eminence. And like, if you're Zadie Smith and, 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 and saying that, you know, you're talking about yourself too. Um, and right. Right. She got, I mean, Zadie Smith had her own like flirtations with cancellation too. Right. Well, she's like a, she is a, she is, I think a very measured critic of, um, some of the excesses of the, whatever you want to call the new thing. So, um, and this is why it's very important to parse, very carefully, I think, as you were saying, as we, you both actually said, is like parsing the difference between the Juilliard thing and the Krista thing, which is like the, the temptation always weirdly in both like people who are eager to cancel and also people who are like anti-cancel culture. The, the temptation is always to put those two things on the same level, right? right? To be like, you know, this 
thing that she does at Juilliard is a, is points to her darker nature or whatever that they like are two instances of the same kind of offense or two degrees of the on the same spectrum or something like that. Whereas somebody like Zadie is like smart enough to be like actually um, we have to parse these one from the other. We have to think about what's going on in the new culture and what it uh, on some level might make us not see about true monstrosity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which yeah. is really interesting. Yeah, I, but, I, yeah that's right. I, I, I did. I, I loved her essay, too. I thought it was... It's um, so good. It's, I thought it was, good. more than anything, it was just funny, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I, I don't know. I kind of... I really liked White Teeth when I read it when it came out. Like, I was captivated by it, and I thought, you know, the humor in it was... Really yeah, I like that. Part wonderful, too. and yeah. I just like when she like writes and there's exclamation points and stuff. <laughs> I yeah. just feel like I feel like it's awesome, and that um, I don't know. I generally agree with most of what she says about this stuff, anyway. So uh, maybe I'm like the captive audience, right? Because uh, I mostly agree with her criticisms, but um, I don't know. I just found it. Uh, I don't know. I found it all right. So let's let the last thing we should talk about then here is the ending and we can have a very lengthy conversation about the ending, but I think we should talk about the ending, (laughs) which in the ending of this film, again, spoiler alert, um, we see like this very fast forwarded downfall of Lydia Tarr, right? Like as Vincent pointed out, she goes back home after she's her disgrace. There's a scene which, you know, I don't know, like some people have said, like, it's not, a, you know, it's like sort of her imagination. Some people have said it's a hallucination where she has been replaced Right. And she uh, hides in the bathroom <laughs> with her feet up on the toilet. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then comes out in her conductor garb and then tackles the replacement conductor, who is this sort of like, you know, fl- flunky that has always been like trying to like steal her ideas the, throughout the entire film. And she attacks him and tackles him off the stage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? And, then she, <laughs> and the he end, had funded like, her lifestyle, too. Right, yeah. right, right, right. And in the end, we sort of, he's like sort of a James Dolan figure, right? Like where he's like wants to be a musician, but he's really just like a rich person. Um, <laughs> he, uh, in the end, we see her, I think, in what, Thailand, right? Is it Thailand? I think it's, it's never, I think it's never said, yeah. but I think Thailand right. is one of the first. Like Thailand or Philippines or, yeah. Yeah, or the, where she's in Southeast Asia and she has a new job and she, you see her sort of go through these. I don't. I don't even know how to describe it. She's conducting a video game, right? Um, orchestra for, and that she's at a convention for fans of that, of that uh, thing, and that um, I think that one of the things in which uh, Becca Rothfield wrote a review of the of the movie for for Vulture, and I think that you know just to get out, kick out the conversation, I just want to write. Uh, read what she wrote, which she said, the ending of the film then may be perversely redemptive. At last, fate affords Tara the chance to annihilate herself in the service of her art. The cynical reading of her surprising new project is that she is only doing what the sleazy reputation management consultant has urged her to do, rebuilding from the ground up. But Tara takes her responsibilities more seriously than she needs to. If they are merely a means to reputational resurrection, she is deadly earnest about her new uh, assignment as she once was about Mahler's fifth, if not more so for now, she has nothing else to be deadly earnest about. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't know. What, what, what did you, what did either of you think about the ending of this film? Vincent, what'd you think? Well, yeah, to Beck, to, to Becca Rothfeld's point, um, which I thought was, uh, was well taken by me. is just that like at the beginning of the movie, even though she's clearly serious about her art, we often see her like settling into like, compose or mark up a score or something. And then somebody walks in with some other shit. Like you need to sign this thing or 
by the way, Krista killed herself or uh, <laughs> you need to lawyer up or like whatever, like the other things that attend great, um, great celebrity, which is like a bunch of, uh, as Becca mm-hmm. says, like reputation management as opposed to art. Um, it goes to a point actually that Christian Lorenzen has written about, um, I believe his essay was in Harper's, about um, the current era of art being largely, he was talking about literature, but I think it applies more broadly, that like we're in a very, in a careerist moment where a lot of the work of art is the propagation of like one's own fame or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so she's like the arch careerist um, in the, in the, not just the beginning, but through the broad middle of the film until her downfall. Whereas at the end, she's like, you know, whatever she, we see her looking at books and um, actually trying to perfect her work on this score or whatever. Um, That's all well and good, but it really is, it really is interesting that the place to build one's reputation and ego is in this like beautiful um, brutalist apartment in Germany and like whatever that like, that's a (laughs) European thing. And that the place to like abase oneself is in the, in whatever, in quote right. unquote, the East or whatever, you know, it's like that, that's, you know, um, that's where one goes to, to do the other thing. Um, yeah. There's like a, I was a couple months ago, I read for the first time, Jeff Dyer's book, um, Jeff in Venice, death in Varanasi. And it's a, a very similar structure where like hmm. the first of the novellas is a guy going to the Venice Biennale and like, finding this hot young girl to have sex with and stuff. And then at the end, I think we're supposed to think that that's the same person. He's like in India, like seeing visions and doing this like spiritual thing, like the sort of like (laughs) Orientalist thing of like, um, all of a sudden he's like finding self abnegation through spirituality, but it can't, that can't happen in Venice, you know, in a similar way. Like she can't learn anything in Germany. She's got to go. She's got to like engage with this other. Totally. Right. Right, right, right. And the in a culture that would never understand, you know, the the former, right, her former life in any yeah. sort right. of way. Right. Um yeah. Tammy, what do yeah. you think ending? Yeah, I thought that I thought I agree with what you said. And I think it was also interesting to think about Asia as like you know how there's this whole thing in sci fi movies and other movies about like Asia as the future, this kind of like, you know, the clean new mm-hmm. um but this is like the older version of Asia, like that kind of Aranasi like the enlightenment, the gritty, the low Asia and like, and her trying to, yeah, make this kind of new career there. I thought also I was thinking about how like video game music and music related to like comics and stuff is actually like a very like popular and lucrative and kind of new frontier of like a lot of classical music composition. So I thought it was kind of interesting that she was going to place herself there. I don't know if that was like on the filmmaker's mind. The other scene that it, really struck me was um you know how before uh there's the waterfall scene but there's also this scene where she's going to get the massage mm-hmm. right 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 and mm-hmm. there's like a kind of blind screen between her and the masseuses i thought that was like a kind of clever echo of like the blind audition scene i wasn't sure entirely like what they were trying to do with this whole thing but there was this kind of like way in which there were all these sort of grim mirrors of the scenes before and earlier in the no, film. i think it was like a catharsis because it's it, like what they right. what it was was like a place it was like a you know brothel and that it was very i think it was also purposefully done in a way where it was it's like the only sort of very very i don't know like expensive kind of 
marbled place in that, that she is in right. in Asia. Yeah. Right? The rest of it, she's like eating on the street or whatever. Totally, yeah. And that there are these women who are in this thing called the fishbowl and you pick them by number. And um, I think that, and then she goes out and she throws up, which, you know, it's like a, some movie signal for catharsis or exactly. whatever, right? <laughs> or rebirth yeah. or whatever, right? right. Like, um, and that she is sort of rejecting, you know, the sort of, she understands in some ways the, the, uh, the way in which she was also, you know, engaging in that type of exactly. exploitation in, yeah. the, in the past, right? And right. so I, I do think at the end is like, and, her redemption, I think Becca is correct, but I also think in some ways people are supposed to feel a great deal of satisfaction that like she has lost the stuff that, you know, she used to have and that the fall is complete, but she also, you know, I don't know. I think that perhaps the director is saying that like, you know, she's finally sort of found the end of whatever vision quest that she has been on since the beginning, which is to, you know, like as Becca's, I, I don't know. I enjoyed mm-hmm. Becca's. I thought that Becca's piece was pretty good. Yeah. Very good. That was actually. Interesting. Yeah. one of, my favorite critics. So um, I don't know. I think that that's correct. I think it's a correct reading of that. Mm. Yeah. Um, Tammy, you mentioned the sort of hallucination theory of the end. Do you, do you buy that? Yeah. Like so this is some sort of, yeah, like either like totally thought up thing, like just, it's not real in the same way that the rest of the movie is. It goes this theory. Yeah, I felt uh, I felt like the stability, like the kind of um, stability of that moment at the end for me had the same valence as like when she punches out the new replacement conductor or when she's, you know, she falls and she's like fleeing from the dog. Like, I think there were these kind of moments and the scream in the forest, like, Mm -hmm. I think all of those for me had kind of like the same level of like question mark around like, is this real? Does it matter if it's real? Um, I think the Asia part to me felt maybe slightly more real than some of the other surrealist sequences actually. So I, I don't know. I don't, I didn't totally, I don't totally buy the fever dream part for the end. What do you think? Me either. I don't, I, I, I didn't buy it and I don't like it. And, and and it's also like, just like (laughs) I like sort of Twitter annoyance of like the way it was brought up. It's like, duh, don't you see? Like, like whenever it comes up, it's like uh, you like movie illiterate. It's like, shut the fuck up. Like, um, the whole movie's got a surreal cast. So either you're either you're buying in or you're exactly. not. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I'm with you. <laughs> I think funny. I mean like the, the there's like an interview where Kate Blanchett says that Lydia has certainly taken ayahuasca many times, right? <laughs> right. That, um, <laughs> there's like a shaman and there's and then there's these like weird things where faces are melded together in kind of like a trippy type of way that that signal these scenes and like, yeah, I don't think we're supposed to take everything that happens at the end at face value and that there are certainly ways in which, you know, there's a sort like, you know, like there she sees when she chases after Vi- the the cellist and she enters into like a strange portal of like uh, mm-hmm. poverty yes, and, and exactly. water on the ground. She's clearly in some sort of hell, right? <laughs> yeah. but like None of this, all of this is supposed to be surrealist. Like it's not, it's not like some light flips on and suddenly we're in like a death dream, right? Like, right. I don't know. I think that, that just sort of also like I think the film would be bad if that was true. You know, yeah. I would rather yeah, exactly. believe that the that the uh filmmaker was making the right choices. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like a moment of generosity, but I don't think I would I don't know. I don't think that it yeah. is true. 
it would make me mad if that were actually what it was supposed to be because I've <laughs> yeah. never liked anything that was like, and it was all a dream, you know, like that's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, why did I watch this then? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> totally. <laughs> I just spent two hours and 48 minutes, you know, <laughs> watching this thing. Like, um, I, don't, I would rather it not be all a dream about this. Um, all right, my last question about this film is just like, why do you think that it has... Uh, I feel like the conversation about this or way in which it's lodged itself in the brains of the sort of chattering classes of which, you know, all three of us are part of, (laughs) it's been unusual, right? Like, I think uh, Mm -hmm. that it is the most talked about film within that group for Mm -hmm. many reasons. I think some of it you can just be very annoying and cynical about and just be like, well, it's the closest one to the people and their journalists in it and everything like that. And that's why I actually don't think that's true. I think that's probably just like that's the type of thing I would say if I was being annoying, you know, <laughs> I don't think, that that, <laughs> I don't think that that's true. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that it was, uh, why, why, like there are a lot of movies out right now. A lot of them are very interesting. You know, a lot of them are sort of touching on cultural yeah. milieu things right now. None of them, I think like this is a very expensive movie with a huge, huge movie star in it. So that's part of it. But like, well, what, what do you think about this? It sort of captured people's imagination so much. Well, I think, you know, First of all, I think, yeah, there are movies that deal with sort of very contemporary topics, but none in Tammy talked about the sort of quite obvious nature of a lot of the things that are going on. And I think that that's really important. I feel like in the 80s and 90s, or let's say 70s and 80s, there are lots of movies that were basically, you know, things that were like ripped from the headlines and let me make a story around that, you know, and that, that was like the great economy of movies for adults. And um this I think is old school in that way. It's like, here's something that we're all thinking about and let me just make a story Mm -hmm. around it in a way that's very compelling. But I don't want to discount your earlier thing that you said was like annoying, whatever. (laughs) I I can see the bad version of this argument. I don't want to discount the, um, let's say that this is something that speaks directly to the kinds of people that we know because of, because of those trophies in the bedroom. Right. It's like, yeah. this is a, this is a tragedy of the meritocratic class. People mm-hmm. who, you know, that the greatest tragedy is that you could earn your way to a, to a pinnacle and then ruin it through your own devices or otherwise. Um, that is the great like tragedy uh, of a certain vision of life, you know? And so, right. and like, the, the yeah. biggest sin is to be a fraud within that meritocratic system. You right. Know? And be, it like, to be exposed how, how they fraud. keep going after my man, George Santos. Right? <laughs> 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 you made everything. Just who cares if he made up his resume? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares if her yeah. name's Linda, Linda, or Lydia? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, but that there's such anxiety around that, especially, you know, yeah. if you are Linda Tarr from, from Staten Island. Mm-hmm. Um, Tammy, what do you think? Why, why, why is everyone, you know, why is everyone such an, uh, you know, be in their bonnet about this movie. Yeah, I think for me, it's two things. I think when we are in a moment where generational divides feel really like thick and pronounced and like totalizing in their explanatory power. And I think this is a movie that plugs right into some of those anxieties. I also think that this is, a, it's like, as Vincent had said before, it's like a Me Too movie that is able to exist because it's translated through a woman's perspective. You know, like, I don't, Mm. this movie wouldn't be successful if it were a dude, I don't think. And so it's like enough, it like is trying to push all of the buttons that people want to be pushed in our chattering class. Um, But it's at slightly like at a slant in a way that is like digestible. And also believable in 
this year, you know, right. um, like it, and it feels kind of fresh in that way Yeah, where, uh, it does show a new, I don't know, like almost like a different version of the same thing that would have felt kind of tired. I agree. If it, if, right. if, if this had been a male, I don't know the, the, I, the, the last thing that I found very interesting about it is I was thinking about like, you know, a film like Amadeus or something like that, right? Like these other movies about music prodigiousness, like, uh, mm-hmm. what's that one about drumming with, um, um whiplash? whiplash yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now in all of those films, there are scenes in which like the viewer is supposed to pause from whatever drama is going on and, appreciate the virtuosity of either the music itself or um and to sort of live in the moments a little bit right like being like oh the symphony is wonderful right philharmonics are great right like uh yeah. with <laughs> amadeus like i think that those are some of the most i really like that movie That's and it's like movie. i think some of the best scenes are when salieri the old salieri is like narrating encountering Mozart's music, right? Like where he's sort of describing it and how it puts him in a rage because he understands that like this is the voice of God and why would he choose this profane child, right? To be his instrument or whatever, right? I thought one thing that I kind of appreciated about Tar was that like, I don't think there's any of that in this movie, right? (laughs) Like, Like there's no appreciation of any of it. Like, Juilliard, right? Bullshit, right? Like, uh, <laughs> like, is there even like? Do we even hear more than two minutes of like anyone playing Mahler in this movie? No, right? Like, all the musicians are like these, like kind of like neurotic or like awful or like small minded or like you know kind of like mousy type of like you know small like small world people, which might be yeah. very realistic, right? But like. <laughs> There's and even like the the only time we ever see anyone like sort of enjoying themselves playing music is the is sort of the young cellist, right? Yeah. Right. But even she's like, you know, you listen and you're like, I don't know. I know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm not convinced. I don't know. Like, am I even supposed to think that this person's good? I don't you know? think or so. It's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. I kind of love that about this yeah. film, which is that it was totally unsentimental about it. it. Didn't feel any sort of need to like be like. Uh, to sort of at least reify in any type of way the institution that obviously it was sort of you know satirizing mm-hmm. um but maybe i'm wrong about that maybe there are scenes that i was like kind of just not paying attention to, <laughs> but i felt like it had a real contempt for this world that that was shot throughout it i had a similar like question about just like her conducting because she's so dramatic with her like physical you know when right. she's when yeah. you do see her in rehearsals um she's always like uh giving her notes in this very operatic way and like moving her arms. It's like, am, am I supposed to think she's good at this? Like, am I supposed to, you know, there's, <laughs> it's very, there isn't a lot of um, uh, glamour. And it's also like in the way it's shot, like the apartment's very glamorous looking, but everything has this very like straight on, like um, I would say like a couple of swatches, like over bright lighting that like yeah. there's no romance in the, in the way things are shot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's, uh, yeah. Everything's just very austere, you know, even her car, right, that she's driving around, right? She drives around, like, the most annoying car. (laughs) Flamboyant, um, but... (laughs) Yeah, everything in her apartment is, like, gray and and brown, and, like, it's, uh, I don't know, I I thought that, uh, although, you know, if you're like, would you like to move in this apartment? I'd be like, absolutely, you know, (laughs) not my taste, but it seems pretty sick overall, (laughs) But uh, she's, 
I don't know. I found it. I, Vincent, I think to answer your question, I do think that you're supposed to think that she's bad at conducting. (laughs) I really do. Like, I I think you're supposed to think like that she, it's like, uh, oh, I don't know. In our field, it would be like reading uh, extremely florid, you know, magazine type of person from the 90s or 80s or something like that, right? Where you're just like, people don't really do this anymore. And like, who are you trying to impress, (laughs) dude? You know, like, I think you're supposed to have that type of response to her conducting. Or like, it's like you, once you're at that pinnacle, it doesn't matter. You know, like it's sort of, you can do whatever you want because you are now the conductor of the Berlin Phil. Right. You might have been good to get there, but. Yeah, exactly. Which also talks, you know, speaks to what we were talking about before about the change and whatever her repertoire is, right? Like Mm -hmm. she came up through this like very avant-garde music or whatever outside of the canon. And now she's Mm -hmm. she's doing this. Maybe that's the moment at which she stops being good too. Right. Okay, Vincent, I have one last question for you that Tammy wanted me to ask. (laughs) So in your uh, podcast, I believe you reveal that when you go to the movie theater, you sit in the fourth or fifth row. (laughs) Yeah. So you can't see the edges of the screen. Can you can you explain? This is this? horrifying to me, Vincent. So I like to sp- I, like I do to be the close. same thing. So. Yeah. I like to be yeah. very close. I like to oh have to God. move my head up a little bit. And I like to I like it to be possible that like I could look at a part of the screen where my field of vision doesn't see the whole screen. Like I like to wow, be like, able to see the whole screen, but I like to be able guys, to like, look I mean, at this corner. Um well listen, my colleague Richard Brody sits in the very front. And like Wants it to be impossible oh, yeah, to, to take in the right. whole screen. Like he wants it. To oh, be. is that why it's the front row? That's why it's called the front yeah. row. Yeah, um, I forgot about yeah. that. That and is so horrifying to me. I don't... Why is that horrifying to you? Because okay, it's Tammy, like we're you flipping can't... it around to you. Like well, you can't Westbrook, take it all you know? in, and it's like so noisy, it and it's too much stimulation. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very. I'm like fan. Where do you sit? Totally fascinating. Why don't you just watch it on your phone? I sit towards the back, and I also usually wear earplugs because it's too noisy for me. It's too loud. Too earplugs. Yeah, my ears are really sensitive. You should just watch things on your phone. Like, why why do you go to the movie theater? Because it's wonderful, but I I need to like have a whole. I I need Mm. some distance. So I was just fascinated by this. (laughs) I sit in the I I sit in the first few rows too. Wow, in part because my eyesight is very bad, (laughs) but also because I enjoy the like. I'm just like I paid eighteen dollars for this. (laughs) I want it to, I want it to smack me right in the face, yeah. right? And I do agree with Vincent that I do kind of want to be able to like, whoa, what's going on over there, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, like, yeah. It, it should be like it's, like you're wow. surveying a gigantic painting, Like right? a landscape, like it yeah. That's right. incredible. It shouldn't feel like you're uh, watching it on your phone and you're just fixated on whatever the director has decided to place right in front of you in like the sharpest field of focus right like i'd rather just sort of make my own decisions going through it and hmm. but it's also kind of like an immigrant like you know like value type of thing not not in terms of values <laughs> like, in money, terms yeah. of like i'm paying <laughs> and so i need i need Bang the full of buck. everything oh you know God, it's like going amazing. to costco right i want the maximum amount of value extracted out of this 18 dollars. and if i sit in the back you know like there's no point of me even doing this i can just watch <laughs> it on my too funny. yeah but um yeah i'm with you vincent yeah. I, I didn't know that brody sat in the front front row but the very front yeah. row it's That's great so yeah. wild to me yeah, he's. I don't know. I want to he feel like I'm a, a part of it, and also like the sound. I want to feel the sound like literally go through my body. Need it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I yeah. feel that. Any, I don't know. Maybe I'm just 
being an over. Remember that movie um, about like, a, it was like a South African film about like aliens. I think it's called the area something, something. I don't remember what it's called. I watched that one in the very front row uh-huh. and I loved it, you know? And then I went to, I saw one of the planet that sort of reconfigured planet or the newer planet of the apes movies in the front row yeah. of like the Cinerama, Cinerama film theater you know which is a gigantic one i loved it you know i wow. couldn't see what was happening the entire time <laughs> oh and the sound this was just like, like blasting through me. <laughs> <laughs> i was like seeing like a fuzzy mark Wahlberg, and oh i was like God. this is awesome <laughs> like it's a full-on like audio auditory and visual so good experience. well tammy you know according to the movie tar um sensitivity to sound is highly implicated with intelligence oh yeah so the Chopin your, your sensitivity here is just like Proof again that you're just smarter than yeah. <laughs> You're like tar, like hearing ding, 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 ding. I'm going to the piano right, and exactly. plucking it out, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought I felt that scene was supposed to be, like, kind of ironic, too, yeah, you know? Yeah, Definitely. yeah. Like, like, what a trite thing. Like, that's something that, like, every, like, first-year totally. music composition person in the world has thought. He's like, I heard a car, right. car alarm, you know? And then the police <laughs> siren went out by. Totally. And here's my five string, my concerto for five strings or something like that, you know, <laughs> with a theremin <laughs> added in. Like, that, like, that's, that's like, you know, I think we're supposed to make fun of her and all those types right. of scenes. I don't know. Like, I, I sure. think that there are very few scenes in the film where we're supposed to. Like identify with her unless we are like you know extremely disgruntled 40 year olds who are also you know kind of mad at some of them that's such a specific read maybe but then, you know what i'm rethinking my thing maybe it, maybe that is why everybody's talking about it i think it's definitely part of it yeah in this in in whatever creative classes they feel particularly implicated by all of this oh, sort of stuff i felt uncomfortable by it you know i was just like man you know like it comes for all of us. You know, it'll come for our... That's right. <laughs> Am I lame? You know? <laughs> the uh, answer is probably yes. You know, it's gotta, at some point, it's got to be yes. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I love how, how often... And you'll never know. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I imagine it'd be cathartic to just be able to start over. Right. Sometimes I think about that. Like, maybe I should just have a pseudonym or something and just start over. Hmm. And just you know, annihilate whatever mess I've created over the past 12 years and then start over and, um, right. Video know. game copy. Well, I thought about that. Yeah. But, um, but you know, in the same field and just like do something else. Right. But, uh, right. Sounds awful. That's like that. Have you seen that yeah, viral exactly. tweet? That's like, would you take $10 million or, or be six again with your, your, your same knowledge? Do you just want to be six yeah. again with your same knowledge? Jay? Oh, well, I don't know. I have two kids. I would rather have the two, you know, yeah, be difficult but... to be a six-year-old father of two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same age as my daughter, you know? Yeah. That's a weird way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I'm going to cook dinner. Can you push the stool over so I can reach the... <laughs> so I can reach the stool. Oh my, my hands are tiny. I can't lift this... <laughs> but i do know how to cook this thing oh yeah i don't know I, I i think i would much rather just you know i'm okay with the age i am you know but maybe re- restarting over wouldn't be the worst um, i don't know i'd fantasize about it constantly um, okay all right thanks vincent. on that note vincent thank you thank for you coming guys for having me it's been so good. we're glued to our phones waiting to see where Kyrie irving ends up traded to i hope he goes to the lakers me too it would be the funniest outcome and I would hope that they would lose in some sort of funny way, you know, <laughs> even though I'm the world's number one LeBron James basketball player fan. Um, 
I don't know. I think that like the, it's, it's not really, an, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they would be really good with it. I have no idea. People seem to be assuming that they would be. I'm not as sure about that, but it, it'd be, I would watch every game. Yeah. I would watch all the games too. I mean, I already, I watched like a disgusting amount of basketball. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like I'm back on that too. It's like staying up late for the West coast games, which is not part of your deal. Like you're lucky, but I just like, I'm up yeah. late now. It's like, it sucks, but yeah, I know. I think I've watched the, at least open. parts of every single Sacramento Kings game this year. It's like embarrassing. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you for listening to the show. If you'd like to support the show, it's goodbye.substack.com or patreon.com slash ttsgpod. You can support us for $5 a month and you'll get access to our Discord server. If you'd like to contact us, it's time to say goodbye. Pod at gmail.com. Vincent, is there anything you'd like to plug? Nope, just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. B Cunningham, right? Yeah. yeah. B Cunningham. Happy Cunningham. Yeah. I thank you for coming on for the third time. I'm um, trying to, this is your third time. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. I think you and Wa are tied I, now. I'm, I think now Max just Reed wanna be Wa, that's my only <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Does the Wa okay, one, we'll make sure. Does I'm the gonna Wa one include this live show? Your, his, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you're dead. Yeah. He does have the live show. Maybe that, you know, nudges him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we're we're always there to have you on and thank you for, for coming on. Thank you. Alright, bye.